Hello, my fuck demons, and welcome to Sex News with Ray. I'm your host, Ray, and today we're joined by Jonas Siena, a Jewish educator who has a BA in classics from the University of King's College in Halifax, where they were the vice president of the King's Pride Society. They teach Hebrew and Jewish topics, both privately and through various synagogues in Toronto, and have lectured on disability, mental health, and other topics. I did not breathe once during that sentence. Yona is currently serving on the LGBTQ plus committee at the Miles and Dell JCC, and will be taking Jewish studies at the graduate levels this fall at the University of Cincinnati. Today in Sex News, we are doing something different. As mentioned so many times earlier in this podcast, Jews like to study the Torah and we do text study. And Yona and I happen to have a bit of an alternative Jew text study that we do occasionally. So we thought we would have not only more Jewish conversations, but a Jewish conversation the way that Jews have them when they are specifically sitting down to study a Jewish text. Did I summarize that well? I don't know if I did. (laughs) Yeah, that's great. Yona, first of all, tell us. How are we going to be analyzing this text? Because we don't, unlike Christians, we don't sit there and quote the Bible at each other and just sit there and nod and smile like in The Simpsons. I clearly have never been at a Christian Bible study. But like, what are the kinds of sacred practices that we do as Jews? So we're going to be reading through the text uh, and I picked Genesis 1 to 3 and a few selections from there. So we're starting right at the beginning of the Torah and we're going to be looking at the parts that have to do with uh, sex, sexuality, and gender. I believe we're going to be following more of a Hevruta study partnership rather than a Pardes-style analysis, correct? Yeah, we are going to be using the technique of Hevruta, which is a uh, ancient technique of pair studying. So Hevruta is where you and one other person go uh, study some part of uh, Torah or Talmud or other Jewish text, and often You'll bring in other texts as well, other commentaries and interpretations to help you uh, interpret the text. And and the point of it is that as we read it, we also try to interpret it and grapple with it and make our own modern midrash, our own modern interpretation of how it speaks to us now. And just for those of you who don't speak Hebrew, chavruta, the root of it comes from chaver, which means friends. Yona and I are making jokes about, you know, friends with benefits because we have never done a piece of text analysis without making it dirty. Yeah, we always make it kinky in some way because that's how Why we Why not? Think. Yep. All right. So step one of Chavruta is we are going to read through the passage altogether, just from beginning to end, all of the pieces that we're analyzing, or maybe in parts, we'll see. But yeah. we read through it and then Good we parts. see what, what questions we have or what stands out to us. And then we just discuss. Uh, usually in Hevruta, I would probably read some selections of it in Hebrew if I wanted to talk about the specifics of the Hebrew grammar and the wordplay. But I think in the interest of a general audience, we'll stick to the English for now. Unless there's one word that we need to look up the original meaning and intention in case the translation's a bit off. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to read the first paragraph and then you give me your thoughts. Does that work? Let's do it. And God created the human, Adam, in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created him. This is not pluralistic. God blessed them and God said to them, be fertile and increase, fill the earth and master it and rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and all the living things that creep on earth. Should we read the next section as well or just stick there for now? Let's let's talk about that for a second. Uh, So the first thing that I want to say about the translation is it says, uh, God created Ha-Adam which means literally the human. But later we learn that this human's name is Adam, Adam. So there's some wordplay going on. He created, God created the human. But there's other times when it's not clear if God's just talking about the human or if God's talking about Adam, whose name is kind of human, if you named your kid I feel human. like that's like naming someone Guy. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do want to point out that they say God, he created him. And this is very much because in Hebrew, you have gendered verbs, correct? Yeah. You have you to have do g- conjugations. Gender is, is everywhere. So if this could also mean in the image of God, he created it or he created them. It's just that in Hebrew, the grammar that you can't have a third, there isn't a third gender option or a gender neutral option. Even inanimate things are gendered masculine or feminine, like French or other gendered languages. Yeah, I could have, I feel like when I read the next ones out loud, I really want to say, and God created the human Adam in their image, in the image of God, they created him, or Z, or we could be easily using gender neutral pronouns in the English translation. And I feel like that makes these kinds of passages more accessible to many. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you get very stuck in like picturing all of those gendered stereotypes when you're reading this. And I find that very annoying. But also the idea of male and female, God created them. Yeah. And and it switches to the plural. God, male and female, God created them. So it feels like it's just giving you sort of a chronological order. God created one human. God created another. Gave them sex characteristics so they could procreate. I feel like this is a passage specifically talking about how I have created these kinds of body parts so that you may procreate on the earth. It's not about gender roles or gender dynamics. It's like, oh, I've created a male body part and a female body part, a nut and a bolt, so you may be fertile and populate the earth. Yeah, and that's the very first commandment in the whole Torah is get it on. Oh, I just So I want to add for our listeners that I did not read any of this in advance. I'm literally just giving my thoughts on the fly. Uh, Yona prepared this passage and I came in blind. So these are my initial thoughts as we go in. And I will probably be feminist because I cannot read anything biblical without being feminist about it. So we're going to jump forward. I'll read the next part. The first one was Genesis 1, verse 27 to 28. I'm going to be reading Genesis uh, 2, starting at verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the human to be alone. I will make a fitting helper for him. So the Lord God formed out of the earth all the wild beasts and birds of the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would call them. And whatever the human called each living creature, that would be its name. And the human gave names to all the cattle and the birds of the sky and to all the wild beasts, but no fitting helper was found for him. Um, this, this is one that people have flagged before, right? God says, it's not good for the human to be alone. So now suddenly it feels like there's only one human. Mm -hmm. Uh, let me try and make like a fitting helper, someone that will make this human not be so lonely. Uh, and God brings them a whole bunch of animals. Okay. Should we, are we going paragraph by paragraph or should we read the next two lines as well? Uh, we can we can read the next one, but I'm just gonna say that there there are people who have interpreted this as like a as that Adam tried uh, with all those animals. Oh, Adam tried to fuck the animals. That's that was very or, unclear from what you were saying, but I love that reading. The reading is that God, you know, who is has no connection to humans yet, and is like, I don't know what humans like. Uh, here. Try the animals. And Adam's like, no, 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 no. All God had, well, I'm sorry, but I think that Adam was maybe being too picky. How many people write sci-fi and want three-breasted aliens with a tail? Like maybe Adam was just not thinking uh, kinky enough. It's possible. So uh, verse 21. So the Lord God cast a deep sleep on the human. And while he slept, he took one of his uh, ribs or sides and... uh, closed up the flesh at that spot. And the Lord fashioned the 
rib or side, that he had taken from the human into a woman, and he brought her to the human. And the humans, then the human said, This one at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This one shall be called woman, for from man was she taken. It is because of this that men leave their fathers and mothers and cling to their wives so that they become one flesh. Okay, but this is ultimate incest. Or is it incest? Is this like when you have, um, like, if you go back in time and have sex with yourself, it's just masturbation? I don't know. That was my first thought, which is, is this incest or is this masturbation? If she is literally of him. Asking the big questions here. <laughs> when he fucked, when Adam and Eve fucked, was it just masturbating with each other? And is all sex really just masturbating with each other? But aside from that, I like the idea, I see the here that you bolded, so they become one flesh because they were one flesh to begin with. So the idea that when you're having sex, this union, this joining is basically just rejoining you to being one again. And then I'm thinking of a Spice Girls song, When Two Become One. This is yeah. the original Spice Girls song. This is the original Spice Girls, When Two Become One. Let's now see what Rabbi Yirmiyah ben Eliezer has to say about this. This is a commentary from Bereshit Rabbah, which is a collection of many different midrashim, many different interpretations from rabbis of the ancient and medieval period. So Rabbi Yirmiyah ben Eliezer said, when the Holy One created the first person, he created them as an, and the word he uses is, androgynos, as a androgynous person, perhaps, or, or intersex, or, or we don't know exactly what that word is referring to in that moment, but we can talk about it. As it is written, male and female, he created them. Rabbi Shmuel bar Nach, uh, Nachmani said, when the Holy One created the first human, he created them as a double-sided being. He then sawed them in half, creating two backs, one here and one there. Others disagreed with this interpretation, saying, is it not written that God took one of Adam's ribs? The rabbi responded that the word rib, selaot, could also mean side, as in another verse in the Torah. Have you seen Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Because I'm just picturing yep. that animation at the very beginning right now. Like, yep. As you're telling me that, I'm like, oh, this is Hedwig and the Angry Inch. And Hedwig and the Angry Inch, that song, uh, comes from Plato's Symposium, ancient Greek text talking about the origin of humanity, which also tells an origin story that humans used to be joined together as one male-female being that was later split into two, and that's why we look for our other halves. Oh, kill me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. Should we dissect this a little bit more? Or should we keep reading? Yeah, let's dissect this. I love the idea of everyone starts male and female and by removing the rib and creating that. I know so many people interpret that as, as woman was created second, therefore mm -hmm. they are inferior. And this is why men cling to their wives. Once again, book written by men. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that a much more beautiful reading of it is the idea that male and female together were created as one and male and female were created second. A person, mm -hmm. human humanity was created, male and female are created second. And the way I interpret this is that everyone, even today, starts out as a person, but it's society that's determining what male and female even is. Mm -hmm. Male and female is created second, even by us as people. Your hormones are your hormones, fine, but what is even considered male and female is in what are the stereotypes and if it's good or bad and those moral judgments are created 
second, not first. First, you're born whole. If we look carefully at the verses in Genesis, before the woman is created, there is no mention of the word man. It's only ha-adam, the human. And then when the human is split in two in some way, either a rib or literally down the side, I like to imagine that it was down the middle. Like the left side was uh, what became Eve and the right side was what became Adam or something. Did God have to do this with all the animals that Adam fucked? Like, did animals not have secondary sex characteristics? Did did God then say, okay, all animals also need to follow? Well, not all, because I know that some animals are, you know, they they like can like, uh, oh my God, fuck themselves and they make a spore. <laughs> like asexual There reproduction. we go, that's the word. The spores. Um, you know, maybe, but maybe, you know, like I'm wondering like, how did Adam... Uh, carnally know his being his animal i'm stuck now on the bestiality reading yeah i i don't know if um that's the direction that they were thinking in terms of the the reason that animals also have sex characteristics but anyway i'm just gonna say that i i love the reading that originally we had both male and female both masculine and feminine completely in harmony with each other and that when it was split, people are incomplete, that you're incomplete only with one side and that with a partner or within yourself, you need to f- reconnect with both sides that were originally part of all people, one person. I know a lot of single people who really love living with their cats that would be offended by this reading. Not that they're fucking their cats, but I do think it- No, no, no. I'm not saying that you need to find a partner. I'm saying that if you are only connected with masculinity and masculine energy or femininity and feminine energy, and you have not uh, engaged with that other energy within yourself, that that is a kind of incompleteness. The toxic masculinity that says, oh, I could never you know, do that because that's for girls and like would never watch a movie with a female protagonist- that that is incompleteness, that we're supposed to engage with both. I mean, it's about balance, right? And if you just end up with one and it's when you only end up focusing on one aspect of yourself um, and making that your entire identity and making that the story you tell about yourself, you're doing yourself a disservice. Another way you could read this is just the idea that uh, humans are not supposed to be solitary creatures. Mm -hmm. We are not supposed to be alone. Whether or not you find your Eve or you find your partner you are supposed to be searching for connection with other humans. And, you know, maybe if Adam had been a little bit different, God would have showed him all the animals and Adam would have found the cat and then be like, okay, no, actually we're good. We don't need to create anything else. Mm -hmm. This is my, this is my partner. I love that. But it just so happened that that's not what this Adam said. Should we go on to the next, the next uh, commentary that you found? Yeah, let's go on to the the other reading of this. Because we do have a time limit today. We can't just go on forever. (laughs) I'll, I'll read this one. So where's this from? Alphabet of Ben Sirach yeah. from Nusach 2. Mm-hmm. Okay. I was reading the English translation, so I'm assuming that was not Sriracha, but was in fact It Sirach. was not Sriracha. Okay. <laughs> the Alphabet of Sriracha. It's a spicy reading, though. It really... Okay, so after God, <laughs> after God created Adam, who was alone, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. <laughs> God then created a woman for Adam from the earth as God had created Adam himself and called her Lilith. Adam and Lilith immediately began to fight. She said, I will not lie below. And he said, I will not lie beneath you, but only on top. For you are fit only to be in the bottom position while I am to be the superior one. 
Lilith responded, we are equal to each other in as much as we are both created from the earth, but they would not listen to one another. When Lilith saw this, she pronounced the ineffable name of God and flew away into the air. Adam stood in prayer before his creator. Sovereign of the universe, he said, the woman you gave me has run away. (laughs) So I want to point out that this is an additional reading. This is not in the Torah. This was written by a man. This is a midrash. Um, We think it's from a man. We don't know actually who wrote it, but probably a man. You have a headcanon about this that I'm going to let you explain to our readers, and then I'm going to tell you my reading, because your headcanon makes me giggle. So my headcanon is that uh, Adam and Lilith couldn't get along because they were both tops, and Adam did not want to be pegged by Lilith, but that was like how she wanted to to do it. Uh, I think she was a switch. I think she was like, we should we should switch with each other. Like, sometimes I'll top you and sometimes you'll top me. And I think that's pretty clear from the reading. And Adam says, no, I will be the top because I am the man. And that is, I, I will do it's the that. end of it. Yes. I like the whole, I will not lie below. She's like, dude, I can only come when I'm on top. I'm fucking done with this. All you ever want to do is missionary. I need to ride you. I need to grind my clit up against your pelvic bone while you're hitting my G spot with your dick that's only four inches, but curved in the exact perfect position. Okay. <laughs> is that our headcanon on Adam's dick? Yeah, this is my headcanon because I mean, I, I don't think you need to have a massive cock to get a woman off, right? Like sometimes it's about shape and size. And anyway, the idea here that she's just trying to be like this, this is what I need. I am done with our mediocre sex. We clearly don't have rabbis telling you your obligation to me yet because this is the origins <laughs> of humanity. <laughs> Fuck you, guy. I want to goddamn come. And he's like, uh, you don't get to come. I get to come. And she's like, we can both come. We can both come. It doesn't have to be about you and your dumbass male orgasm. It can be about both of our orgasms. And then when Adam's like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be a selfish lover. She basically is like Jesus Christ and flies off into the, is like, I'm done with you and goes off. I think she doesn't say Jesus Christ. No, but like, you know what I mean? Like she says, she cries the ineffable name of God. Yeah. And and she flies into the air. The idea about this is that the, if you know the secret unpronounceable name of God, then you can do magic because just like God would create using language, God spoke and the world came into being. If you know these secret words, then you can do magic as well. I I love in fantasy novels, the idea of a true name and like the true Mm -hmm. name gives you power over someone. Or if you know a true name, you can transform things. Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothfuss does a really good job with this one. But like, I love the idea of like, even here, the alphabet of Ben Sirach is like, dude, true names are fucking lit. Let's put that in our fan fiction. So uh, the story goes on to explain how like Lilith becomes the mother of demons and there's this whole argument between her and the angels. But I think this part of it is Lilith uh, doesn't take shit from no one. Not even That's the thing that we get from this. Not even ineffable God. Yeah. She stands up for herself and she runs away. And now she's being rewritten as a character that that, you know, is given like a oh you don't want to be this. Like you get the idea that this is supposed to be from the perspective of Adam and there's moral judgment put on the people writing this that like, you don't want to be a woman who stands up for yourself. Yeah, but the way that it's written, it actually sounds really cool. It's similar. We were talking about last episode, the anti-Semitic conspiracy theories make us sound cooler than we actually are. Yeah. So this sexist conspiracy, this sexist fan fiction actually makes Lilith sound really badass. They're like, oh, how terrifying. Like she wouldn't, 
let Adam be on top of her. And it's like, actually, that's that's really dope. Like, she's really empowered. I find there's one other sentence here that is really interesting to me. The they would not listen to one another. When Lilith mm. saw this, she pronounced the ineffable name of God and flew away into the air. She was like, these are irreconcilable differences. Sex, like incompatible sex drives are enough for our relationship to not be worth staying with. We don't yes. have children keeping us together. We're not, you know, uh, there's no familiarity. We don't have high mm -hmm. school memories to make us stay with each other. <laughs> She's just like, why are we together? Clearly we want different things from our sex lives. Bye. This is enough of a reason to break up with you. You know, I think also looking at a Jewish reading rather than a Christian reading of this origin story, I think that Adam is really to blame for a lot of the problems in the world because of his shitty attitude. So if we look at the where uh, Eve, the woman, is first created, and he says, I will call her woman because from man she was created. God didn't say that. That was Adam. Right, because Adam was the one naming people. Adam was the one who decided, I'm going to call her a derivative of, of myself. And, and that doesn't come from God. That comes from us getting an insight into the character of this first man. And I think once the Eve, the femininity was separated from him, he goes into like really terrible toxic masculinity for the rest of the story and, and doesn't recover from that. He loses touch with those important parts of himself when he becomes a man rather than a whole person. I love that reading to offer an alternative perspective. The idea that you're naming someone is of yourself the idea being that we are, I love sort of the beauty around we are one. I cannot be whole without these aspects. Like that to me, I mean, whether or not he's naming her of him or just sort of a reminder that we are of each other. That's really nice. And it is very poetic. Bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. Yes. Bone bone of my boner. Um, <laughs> I'm 15 on the inside. Okay. Honestly, like I would totally name my daughter Lilith. Alex and I had this whole conversation where he's like, and then we'll name our son Satan. And I'm like, but Lilith wasn't a demon. She might be known mm -hmm. as the mother of demons, but she is the Bible's first uh, feminist figure. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, it's a big, in Judaism, the demons aren't servants of Satan, who is this like contrary figure to God, a fallen angel who's fighting him. Like that's not a thing at all. In Judaism, God created the world and then God took a break and things got a little out of hand. And Adam had sex with some things he shouldn't have. And the spirits, Lilith, you know, Lilith goes off and, you know, depending on the interpretation, depending on the Midrash, but all of the Midrashim basically paint a story of like the world itself, like spinning out in these directions, the created world, not some big conflict in heaven, but just once you make a physical imperfect world, things start to fall apart and be imperfect and conflict happens. Well, Judaism is about the world that we live in right now. I just exactly. realized though that genuinely for us to have the perfect interfaith marriage, assuming like we don't want kids, but if we did, if we had a daughter naming her Lilith and if we have a son naming him Satan, that is the perfect way to name mm. both your children off of your own individual religions. <laughs> interfaith. Should we read the next line? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to summarize the next part a little bit because it's really long. We're looking at... Uh, the end of Genesis 2 and the beginning of Genesis 3. This is the episode with the serpent. Okay. So we're starting with that one sentence that you put in from end of Genesis 2. Yeah, I'll read Genesis 2, verse 25. The two of them were naked, the man and the wife, yet they felt no shame. I mean, you shouldn't continue. Should we go yeah, on for number three? Right. right. Like, what is they there to feel ashamed of? They they were so liberated. I like that the the translation is yet they felt no shame. You can mm -hmm. tell this is written by people 
because they're trying to be like, they didn't feel shame. And it's very unclear from that one sentence if they should be feeling shame or if mm-hmm. the idea is that for us to be close to God in the, the land of paradise, mm-hmm. we will not feel shame. Shame is a negative emotion that we will have no use for, which is sort of the whole reason for my podcast. Yeah. We also don't know exactly whether it says yet they felt no shame or and they felt no shame. The Hebrew uh, con- conjunction is the same either way. Yeah. So it's just, they were naked. There was no shame. There was no shame in that back then. Uh, and the serpent was also, it says, more naked than all the other beasts of the field, aka more cunning or more sly. That's another connotation that that word has in Hebrew. So they were, so, so for all we know, that earlier sentence means they were cunning and had no shame about, like it could be talking about their intelligence and not being ashamed of their intelligence. Or is it two different words? Perhaps. No, it is one word. And it just has two different, sort of a synonym. Like it can either mean they were naked or it can mean like, I don't know, when someone says like a bald faced lie, like a naked truth, like th- this kind of, that 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 association is that a naked in a different context can mean a, con- a comment on your personality. Okay. But then given a, a sentence later, the context earlier means they were not wearing clothes, just for those of you who are. Yeah. And especially because later in the story, it, it talks about them getting clothes. Let's just keep reading. <clears throat> so the serpent... Talks to the woman, tricks her, uh, tells her that the tree is great and she should eat from it. And the woman looks at the tree and she makes her own decision. She's like, yeah, you know what? This looks great. So to clarify, God says, eat anything, just not this one thing. Yeah, God says, eat everything, just don't eat from this tree. And the snake says... You should eat from this tree. God knows that as soon as you eat of it, you will be like divine beings who know good and bad. Mm-hmm. Your and eyes will like, be opened. So she's like, okay, these aren't poisonous mushrooms. Let me have some. They're the fun mushrooms. And the yeah. eyes of both of them are open. She goes on a super fun mushroom drug trip where her third eye is open and she sees the clockwork elves. And they perceive that they were naked. And then they sew together fig leaves and make themselves loincloths. I don't know if you got my mushroom joke, but apparently people yeah. who do like it. Okay, good. For our listeners, I recently found out that apparently people do a shit ton of mushrooms. I'll see these weird clockwork elves. Anyway. <laughs> what do you make of this part? They were open and they perceived they were naked and they sewed together fig leaves and made themselves loincloths. After eating this fruit of the knowledge of good and bad, they, they realize they're naked and are ashamed maybe and they make themselves loincloths. Honestly, like I would just see it more like, you know, it'd be nice to be able to tie my ball sack up when I run. like oh i now know good and bad so i now know i can create something that is functional that is the first time they're creating something but it's interesting that what they create is specifically to cover those parts of their body and and both of them do it and both of them Mm. only cover those parts what i'm sort of seeing here is the idea that maybe the reason god didn't want them to eat from that tree is because he didn't want to feel things like shame or jealousy Mm-hmm. You know, good and bad, not good or bad of the world, not the idea that you should be ashamed of yourself. It doesn't say good and evil. It doesn't say good and evil. It says you will know good and bad. And it doesn't necessarily mean you'll see good and bad in the world around you, but maybe you in yourself will be aware of good and bad. And then they have these sort of ideas of what that what that is. They see themselves naked. They're like, oh, is this these are our part? Like, you know what I mean? Like almost like like this tree was the tree of negative emotion and thought. And by eating from it, you have given that to yourself. And this is what I was trying to spare you from. So this is the tree of anxiety. And mm-hmm. immediately they take it and they're like, oh shit, I'm anxious this was about a mistake. everything. Yeah, I'm <laughs> overthinking everything I'm doing. 
I mean, maybe they were like, guys, my thighs are chafing. I kind of need some shorts to prevent the thigh chafe. Sounds like it's the tree of value judgment. Yeah. Like before they could see things clearly and they were naked and it didn't matter. And now they got the tree of good and bad, meaning the tree of value judgment. Yeah. I feel like calling it the tree of evil. It's like, I mean, I think it is bad to judge other people around you. You don't fully know them. I think that we should judge each other for doing things like, I mean, literally, like if you're fucking a child, please don't. I will judge you for that because that is in my mind. Yeah, it's morally abhorrent. Objectively, morally not good. But if it's just about things that aren't hurting someone else, why would you feel bad about it? Like, I feel like those feelings must come from an evil tree or, a, or you know, a tree, <laughs> a tree of evil fruit. Why do we feel the need to judge each other? Why do we feel shame? Why do we feel these anxieties about things, you know, as opposed to just having clarity of thought? And I'm not even saying the absence of emotion, because I think that logical, rational thought, there's no such thing because there, but there are like positive feelings and negative feelings and you're making your choices based off of those feelings or trying to analyze where they come from to be a better person. Therapy. What I would say is I feel like calling it the tree of, of moral judgment or the, the tree of, of negative thoughts as opposed to the tree of, you know, life, I think is what people call it. The knowledge of good and bad. Yeah. The, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. Lots of ofs. We should read the last paragraph or the last two, I think. Oh, no, it's the last one. So the Lord God called out to the man and said to him, where are you? And he replied, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. Then God asked, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the anxiety tree that I forbade <laughs> you to eat from? The man says, the woman you put at my side, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent tricked me, so I ate. Uh, so right away, Adam is a total snitch. Yep. Snitches get stitches. There's a, an interesting interpretation from the rabbis that God did want them to eat from the tree. It's kind of that negative, psycho that reverse psychology. Don't but do it. Yeah. God wanted humans to become self-aware but knew that that choice had to come from them. So if God told them to do it, it wouldn't work. And so God said, don't do it, and then waited. And, and some rabbis say it took like hundreds or thousands of years while they were just enjoying the garden, the tree just in the center, tantalizing them, until finally they had to make that first choice from the, for themselves to do something for themselves that was against what God had told them. And that was God like basically beginning free will, which God had always wanted. I think that this is where you get a lot of people getting that. We talk about how like other religions have that concept of original sin. And this is mm -hmm. what they root back to like the sin of Eve and that she did this thing God didn't want them to do. But I mean, uh, like she was tricked by a snake. So you have this naive young woman and this sexy shape of water snake man comes mm -hmm. up. Who has arms and legs at this point. Sexy, scaly, anthropomorphic snake. In teen dramas, there's like the guy who's like the good guy that they date in first season. And then they always bring in the bad guy, like the Jess from Gilmore Girls. Like Adam is Dean and the snake is Jess. And there's some temptation there. I think the snake is like Randall from Monsters, Inc. Um, I haven't seen it in a really long time. Oh, he's, just, he's just this really like flamboyant, sexy snake guy. He's sort of like a salamander. Okay. Yeah, that works too. I wasn't, I have never been attracted to Randall from Monsters, Inc. So. I haven't either, but I'm sure someone has. Yeah. I'm sure rule 34, you can find there's porn There's definitely of furry porn of Randall. Uh, yeah. And I, I mean, but I just get the sense here that, well, God also made the snake, right? Yep. Like the idea that, that the snake is evil and snakes are bad and like God also made the snake for all we know, God put the snake there to tempt 
Eve specifically were like added mm-hmm. these other things and these other tests and trials. And I'm picturing the fantasy epic where like, you know, in order to gain sentience, you need to pass this test or fail this test. Mm-hmm. And the test is have free will and do something yourself. Make a choice. I think it's so interesting that we have a story here of a woman making choices for herself. And then you have the story of Lilith making choices for herself. Mm-hmm. So now we have two biblical figures of women who are making these choices for themselves. And Adam is literally just content. And he reminds me of my stoner boyfriends from my youth who like, mm. you know, I was like doing things and they were like, can't we just smoke pot and eat snacks? And I, you know, like, you know, yeah. like I'm sorry, I'm not content with that. I'm fine if you it's fine if you are. But this is not the life for me. So what happens next is that God gives a series of really poetic flowery curses. And what's interesting to me is the order. God curses the serpent first, the woman second, and Adam third. So it almost is saying like, the serpent did something bad, Eve did something worse, but Adam was the worst of all. Like he's the one who gets the longest and worst curse and he's the grand finale. Why do you think that is? Well, he didn't make a choice the way that Eve did. He, well, didn't he when she offered it to him? Or the idea that he did make a choice, but then he tried to blame it on her. And that's the true problem here. Perhaps, you know? Like, he didn't take accountability. Like, what a fucking man. Right. I mean, I don't want men to think that we're men haters no. uh, on this podcast. Although... No, some of you are good at taking accountability. I know lots of women who also can't take accountability. But I think in this case, maybe the true the true problem here is that instead of saying, I made a choice. Yes, she offered this to me. And yes, she tried to convince... Maybe she did try and coerce her. Maybe she was like, oh my God, you have to eat this. It's amazing. You know, when you cave to peer pressure, you're still making a choice. When you are engaging in... A sex act with someone, I mean, I'm not saying that, like, obviously, I'm not talking, like, abusive relationships where you're actually being coerced. But the guys who were like, oh, she seduced me. Mm-hmm. She came on to me. I couldn't control myself. Like, and yes, it's like, you could. Dude. Or the women who are also saying, oh, he was so hot. I cheated on my partner. I couldn't control myself. You made a choice. And then to say, oh, that person seduced me. No, yeah. you made you a know, choice. And it does feel like God is setting this up in order to have all of them experience consequences. So... God is going to see what happens and gives them the consequences. The serpent is the, you know, if you have this relationship of someone cheating on someone else, it feels like Eve is a little bit cheating on Adam with the serpent. The The first person that you blame is the the serpent, the one who's like going into a relationship. The I'd say the serpent who looks at the wedding ring and goes, that doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. The second person that you blame is... Uh, the person doing the cheating. Yeah, the person who went into it willingly, mm-hmm. but was but was like, I am making a choice in this moment. And then what's up with Adam? I mean, I'm not sure if this metaphor extends that far, but in that case, Adam is the guy who turns out that he has a cuckold fetish, but refuses to own up to it <laughs> and refuses to acknowledge that one of the reasons his wife fucked the serpent in the first place is because he gave her permission and is now yelling at her for fucking the serpent. Mm. And he's had a bit of a spotted history with women before, if you look at the Lilith story. Yeah, he's the reluctant, I wouldn't say the reluctant cuckold. He's like the closeted cuckold who refuses to own his fetish. Yeah. And just enjoy it, you know? Let's look at the curse that Eve gets. Okay. Because this is one that I think people interpret a lot, either as a reason to turn off from the Bible as a whole, or as a justification in the Bible for woman's place. Greatly shall I multiply the suffering of childbirth, and pain shall you bring forth children, and yet still will you desire your husband even as he rules over you. What do we think about this curse? You know, you're going to want to have sex, even though it's going to hurt. Like, sorry, 
Childbirth is going to hurt, but you're still going to want to do it. Yeah, it doesn't feel like a curse that justifies these things. It feels like in all of the curses, it's talking about like things that are shitty. It's like, so childbirth is going to be shitty. Being heterosexual is going to be shitty. And patriarchy is going to be shitty. And the three of them are going to come together in a shit cocktail. (laughs) Yeah. Well, then if we look at the one for Adam, just by comparison, um, the ground is going to be shitty. You're going to have a world of abundance in front of you and you will see none of it and get to enjoy none of it. You will only ever see the things you have not. And it also, to me, is related to this like ancient patriarchy of 3000 years ago where people's lot in life was really terrible. Women were staying at home and giving birth a lot and it was painful and dangerous and bad. And men were out laboring in the fields without, you know, advanced agricultural technology. And it was just a bad life for everyone. And they'd split up the suckiness in terms of gender, but both people had really hard lives. And this is maybe an explanation for why. It's not a justification of it. It's not saying that it's good. It's just saying this is the consequence of leaving the Garden of Eden is a world of shit for everyone. I do think that if we read this through the lens of like, this is the origin of toxic Mm -hmm. masculinity, just the idea that like life is going to give you tons of wonderful things and all you will choose to see is what people are Mm. keeping from you. And I'm not saying this is all men. Toxic masculinity is not all men. Toxic masculinity is something I think that is learned by a lot of men and taught by a lot of men when they're looking for guidance. And this is that guy, this is like the incel who's like, she did not give me sex. And it's like, so look somewhere else. Be Learn to grow as a person. You know what I mean? Like the idea that like, you shall eat nothing. Only by the sweat of your brow shall you get your bread to eat until you return to the ground. Like you're gonna have to mm-hmm. work for things. I am not gonna keep giving you women to fuck <laughs> up with. You're gonna have to do the work. Yes, like, okay, I gave you Lilith, she flew away. You know, I've given you Eve and, you, you know, up. clearly you fucked that up. You fucked the pooch there too. You got to put in the self-work to keep a woman. And I also just want to point out also briefly that this last, the last three lines, until you return to the ground from, for from it, you were taken for dust is what you are. Uh, this is the Jewish, this is how Jewishly, this is yep. what we think about death. What happens when we die? Mm-hmm. We become dust. Mm-hmm. We return to the ground. I would like them to plant a tree over my dead body so I may feed it. Like, this is why we don't really have heaven and hell, because this is the beginning and this is where we take our death knowledge from. The idea in Judaism, there's lots of later interpretations, midrashim, that go lots of different places. But the original idea in the Torah is that humans were created by dust and the breath of God. And when we die, the body returns to dust and the breath returns to God. And that's it. You were a person for a little bit, and now you're not. And we become one with the universe. And Adam and Eve become whole again with the universe and with God. And that the time after you are dead is pretty much the same as the time before you were born. Now, of course, that's, you know, there's other interpretations that have come about through history. Um, that's not the only one, two Jews, three opinions. But that's, that's, the, that's the core that we work from. Yep. Any other last thoughts on these pieces? Um... I think every time I study a text, I just see how much more there is in it. Anybody who like looks at the Bible as this simple thing that you could either believe wholeheartedly or reject wholeheartedly, I think needs to take a much harder look at it and, and how much complexity there is to wrestle with. 
One of the things that I like to do in, when I study text, and even when I do my Harry Potter text study group that I do every few weeks, I really like to look at the characters and take things from my life and put it on the characters and see how it influences my perspective or if I can sympathize with them or not. So, for example, today I might not be empathizing with Adam at all because I recently helped my friend write an article on fuckboys. Uh, Adam is the ultimate fuckboy in this story. Right. But that being said... I could read it next week and have a lot more sympathy for Adam and none for Lilith and Eve, depending on what's going on in my life at that time. Mm -hmm. And I love revisiting texts with different perspective and different things going on just to be able to see what has changed in your reading of these characters and who do you empathize with today? And that's always a lot of fun. But I especially love thinking about Adam fucking a ton <laughs> of animals to try and figure out how to fill the hole in his heart. Oh, poor Adam. Time for a commercial break. Do you want to join the deviants to finding elite and actually tell people about it? Are you, like me, a fuck demon? We are launching Sex News with Ray Swag with these common phrases. We've got hats. We've got toots. That's beanies for you Americans. We've got sweatshirts. We've got crop tops. And as usual, all the art was designed by me, so it definitely has my personal flair to it. Check out the new designs at sharewithray.com slash merch slash SNWR and pick up a piece to support the podcast today. All right, Yona, we're back. Window, that's their pseudonym, Window asks, what is Judaism's view of sex work? How does that vary across denominations since Orthodox is highly focused on modesty and reform is more progressive and accepting of these things? Uh, so that's a very good question. The Bible itself gives very mixed messages. There is the episode that we talked about last time when Judah's daughter-in-law, Tamar, dresses up as a sex worker on the side of the road, and that's a praiseworthy thing. Later in the Torah, there are commandments that you should not uh, sell your daughter into more sex trafficking. But that's not about that's not anti-consensual sex work. That's against trafficking. Right. And that's one of the issues when you're looking at anything in the Bible is that the social world that they are making laws around is entirely different from the society that we live in now. So if we look at what they say about homosexual homosexual sex or about sex work, they may be talking about different social realities. They might be talking about coercive uh, acts that in our society can be consensual acts. I would say, though, I think I mentioned this in advance, even just out of out of the Bible, the Orthodox Jews are highly focused on modesty and purity rules. And we've sort of talked about the root of why that is and the reaction. But as I mentioned, I have seen observant Jews at sex clubs. And I have seen, like I have friends who were seeing observant Jews as mm -hmm. sex workers, and they had to lie to their wives and hide it from their wives. I would say that frequently it's the Orthodox Jewish men mm -hmm. who are purchasing sex. If they were to go to the rabbi and say, I did this, the rabbi would have to be like, oh, well, that's not okay. But that being said, when you live in a certain lifestyle that is so prohibitive of so many things, you have to purchase it. Mm -hmm. The rabbi might be like an Orthodox Dan Savage saying, <laughs> you know, oh, well, will it preserve your marriage if you can go and have sex with a woman outside the faith? I mean, I don't think a rabbi would because of all of those rules that we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. But I think that there's also something to be said for if you are basically in a marriage where you it's monogamy and you've been in it since you were 17, 18 years old for your whole life. I'm not going to judge an Orthodox Jewish person for seeking gratification from other places, mm -hmm. especially because if they leave their community, they can't go back. They can't see their friends and family. Yeah. So uh, Judaism does not explicitly prohibit sex work or um, going to a sex worker, but there's mixed messages. Some, some see it as more negative than others. Mm -hmm. 
And I, once again, it goes into sort of what, what are the social and cultural norms of where you're living. Orthodox Judaism, they're living in basically micro communities within a larger community. So they'll have their own different kinds of rules and laws that they themselves are following to be part of that community. That Reformed Jews, who are a lot more involved in secular life, might not have. The reason that reform might be more progressive is also just because they are choosing to engage with everyday secular living more than the Orthodox are. I will say as well that uh, Jews are more likely to be involved in uh, social action in all ways. So you might find that there are lots of people who are Jewish who are involved in advocacy for the decriminalization of sex work and making it uh, a better and safer thing and not having it be criminalized by the government. And that the people who do that, who are Jewish, probably call on their Jewish values as part of the work that they do. There is also, for those of you who don't know about Mamie Pinzer, she was a Jewish sex worker who lived in Montreal in like 1913 to 1915, something like that. Oh, sorry. She was born in 1885. She lived until 1940. And she lived in Montreal from 1913 to 1918. She might have written under a pseudonym. Basically, she wrote a bunch of things about sex workers working in Montreal at the time. And then I also know, I don't know if this is the same woman or a different woman, but there was a sex worker who basically unionized all the sex workers of Montreal at the time and did a lot for their legal rights. And so whatever Judaism says about sex work, there will, there will and there always will be Jewish people doing sex work because there will always be people doing sex work. Mm-hmm. And... I, I love learning about Canadian Jewish history. We don't do it enough. So thank you for that. I've learned something new today as well. Yeah. I would like to thank Kent, the free Jewish trip that I went on to Montreal, where we learned about fashion and Judaism for that one fact. Awesome. There's a huge Jewish history in Montreal. Shout out to the Yiddish Book Center. They do some amazing programming. And they're doing a lot to keep the language of Yiddish alive. Amazing. On that note, Yona, where can we find you? You can find me on Twitter at Yona Siena. You can join the Deviants Defining Elite of Sex News with Ray by following us on Facebook and Instagram. You can submit a listener question through sharewithray.com slash podcast or email sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Follow me at wifebayray on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok and Razor Latex on Instagram and OnlyFans. This podcast is engineered and produced by Dave Meisner and is hosted at sexnewswithray.podbean.com. The theme music is by Blank and Brilliant. Special thank you to Blue Microphones and Photography for our logo is by Dolly Shots Photography. 